0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash Switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at MintMobile.com. Nintendo files over 30 patents for mechanics in the latest Zelda game. (laughs) For August 11th, 2023, this is Let's Play Daily Gaming News. Hey, what's going on? My name's Nate Bender, and welcome to Let's Play, a daily gaming news podcast where we run down everything you need to know from the gaming world in about five minutes. Coming up, the Supreme Court makes another stupid decision. What else is new? Twisted Metal sets records on Peacock, and we'll check out the week that was in video game news with the Friday replay. Earlier this week, the publication Automation released a report on the 31 Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom-related patents Nintendo has filed this year, all of which goes into technical details behind the abilities such as Fuse and the Ultra Hand. It also documents how Tears of the Kingdom handles seemingly mundane tasks to players but are in fact very complex computational problems. For example, Nintendo patented Tears of the Kingdom's loading screens while fast-traveling, and describes in painful detail how a map animation from the player's current location to their chosen destination keeps players engaged while background processes are loading the player's desired location. Now, video game developers patenting game mechanics is nothing new and has been used as a way to bar other developers from creating similar mechanics or using similar ideas. Bandai Namco's infamous patent on minigames being played during loading screens is an excellent example, because for two decades Bandai Namco prevented every other developer on the planet from implementing minigames during loading screens. Another example is Monolith Studios' patent on the Nemesis system in Shadow of Mordor. The Nemesis system, for those unaware, is a dynamic rival system that learns from the player's playstyle to determine the behavior of their rivals. The patent on the Nemesis system bars any developer from mimicking this mechanic until 2035. Both of these patents were submitted with wording that makes it difficult to have nuanced interpretation of these mechanics. Now, all of this is to say that The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom patents could have a similar effect on the gaming industry. So ask yourself, is it fair that Nintendo has the potential to bar other developers from using something as simple as an animation during their loading screens? In an update on Epic Games' ongoing legal battle against Apple, the Supreme Court has denied Epic's injunction request. The injunction, if implemented, would have legally bound Apple to comply with the previous ruling, allowing competing app stores onto Apple devices. Apple argued its way out of this injunction by claiming it would limit Apple's quote ability to protect users from fraud, scams, malware, spyware, and objectionable content despite the true limit that's actually being placed — Apple's ability to force app developers into a 30% commission fee. Overall, this legal battle is still in the early appellate process, and I doubt that we'll see much more movement on this case unless the Supreme Court moves this matter ahead on their docket — or denies hearing the case outright. Until then, Apple gets to proceed like the last three years of litigation never happened. It's been two weeks since Universal released its latest video game adaptation for television, Twisted Metal, to its streaming service, Peacock. And in those two weeks, Twisted Metal has apparently done extremely well. Reported by Deadline, Twisted Metal is Peacock's, quote, most binged comedy premiere to date, with the average binge spanning three episodes. Universal also compared the premiere of Twisted Metal to other successful franchises on the Peacock platform. Similar to Bel Air, The Best Man, Final Chapters, and Poker Face, Twisted Metal is among some of the most popular streaming shows on Peacock. However, Universal didn't disclose any actual metrics to back up these claims. And the little bit of data that we do have is from Nielsen. Nielsen only tracked data for the weekend following the July 27th premiere, and reported that Twisted Metal amassed a combined 6.7 million hours watched between July 29th and July 30th, becoming one of the most-watched streaming originals for that week. And you know what? Good for Twisted Metal, but I also think this is a great opportunity to remind you that SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America are still on strike. Why? Because these strikes will directly affect when, and if, the second season of Twisted Metal is going to happen. And many of the actors and writers on Twisted Metal are currently still picketing, demanding the base minimum from studios to ensure all workers are paid a fair living wage for their work, raising valid concerns over AI and the current ripple effects it has on content creation as a whole. So far, writers have been on strike for 100 days, while actors have been on strike for 27 days, showing that there doesn't seem to be much movement from the studio executives to come to the negotiating table. That being said though, if you're looking for ways to help the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strike efforts, links will be provided in today's show description. Alright, no new podcast review this week, but please, if you want to leave us a podcast review, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Audible, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podchaser, and Amazon. And you know what? Tell your friends about this show as well. The only way that this show continues is if the most people possible listen to it. So share it with your friends or even anyone that you know that has a gaming interest, tell them to check it out. Alright, with it being Friday, let's check out some of the biggest stories from this week On Friday, Kai Sinat, one of the largest streamers on Twitch, decided to have an impromptu giveaway in New York City, announcing mid stream for anyone to come visit Union Square and potentially receive free consoles and PCs. To Kaisenat's and the NYPD's surprise, several thousand people showed up for the giveaway. The sudden influx of people prompted the NYPD to declare a, quote, Level 4 mobilization. Which means that the NYPD deployed around a 1,000 militarized police to Union Square, where in typical police fashion, they treated the crowd as a hostile riot. Not too soon after riot police were deployed, Kai Sinat finally arrived at Union Square where he was immediately mobbed upon leaving his car, having to be carried out of the crowd by his security team. Kai Sinat again tried to engage the crowd, but was ultimately arrested by the NYPD. Following Kai's arrest, the crowd dispersed after an hour. The NYPD later held a press conference to announce that Kai Sinat could be charged with upwards of two counts of inciting a riot and unlawful assembly with other mounting charges pending. Now, this reminds me of 1979's Disco Demolition Night, which was a riot that was caused by Chicago radio DJ Steve Dahl, who hated disco. On his rock-centric show, Dahl rose in prominence by destroying disco records live on the air, which came to a head when Dahl was recruited by the White Sox to run a promotion for a doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers. Dahl's idea was to discount admission for attendees who turned in a disco record. And between the baseball games, Dahl was going to detonate the records. It was reported that around 50,000 people showed up to Kaminsky Park on July 12, 1979. Way more than the stadium could handle and way more people than Dahl or the White Sox had anticipated. Despite tens of thousands of people flooding into the seats, the first game was played and the White Sox lost. Dahl rode out onto the field during the scheduled break and set up the display of vinyl and explosives. And when Dahl set the explosion off, it ignited a fuse that had been brewing in the agitated crowd. Thousands of people stormed the field and started rioting, which resulted in the first and last game in MLB history to ever end in a forfeiture due to field unplayability. However, unlike Kai Kaysenat, Dahl was never arrested for inciting a riot. Yet Kai Sanat's riot was the same thing, a promotion gone wrong. In both cases, people were violent and property was damaged. The only real difference is that Kai Sinat is black and Steve Dahl is white. You can also draw more racial parallels to how the crowds were characterized. Disco Demolition Night was mostly white teenagers, and the event was summarized as kids will be kids when given alcohol and reefer. Kai Sinat's crowd was predominantly black teenagers, and mainstream media on Friday characterized this as a, quote, very violent spat with police officers, with police even claiming some participants were wielding axes. Spoiler alert, they weren't. Showing a real juxtaposition on how civil unrest is treated and reported on, depending on who is rioting. White teens lose their mind at a sports ball game and destroy the stadium, it's just another Tuesday. Black teens gather and get excited to meet a streamer, thousands of police are deployed, and people get arrested. Over the weekend, the fighting game community flocked to Las Vegas, Nevada, in droves to attend the Evolution Championship Series, referred to as EVO, the world's largest annual FGC esports event. And EVO had a phenomenal turnout with long lines that stretched out of the Mandalay Bay Casino. Over 9,000 professionals signed up to put on a hell of a show this year, and when I say a hell of a show, I mean it. This year saw countless heartening storylines come out of the FGC, like Arslan Ash, the Pakistani Tekken professional who has been on a four-year-long tear in the Tekken scene. This year, Ash secured the final EVO trophy for Tekken 7. Ash went undefeated throughout the entire tournament and held on to that undefeated streak all the way through Grand Finals. Mortal Kombat 11's final year at EVO also saw an emotional Grand Finale as well, with the Chilean twins Nicholas and Scorpion Prox facing off against American Pro Ninja Killa 212. Ninja first faced off against Nicholas earlier in the tournament, with Ninja losing the first bout and getting dumped into the loser's bracket. However, Ninja worked his way through the loser's bracket all the way back into the grand finals, where Ninja and Nicholas faced off again in a very close match, leading to a 3-2 victory in Ninja's favor. After securing the win, Ninja took to the edge of the stage, and trust fell into the crowd of friends and fans that caught him, putting a nice bookend to Mortal Kombat 11's history at EVO. Now for the most remarkable showing at EVO 2023, Street Fighter 6 has been lauded as one of the most accessible fighting games of all time, and the blind warrior Sven showcased just how accessible Street Fighter 6 truly is. Because Sven, like his moniker suggests, is legally blind. Despite his blindness, though, Sven showed up on EVO Day 1 ready to compete and actually won matches. Though, you're probably wondering how a blind person can play a video game on a professional level. Well, Street Fighter as a series has always had a robust library of audio cues, and Street Fighter VI in particular added an audio cue that indicates character position accurately where the audio cue speeds up and slows down based on the player's proximity to their opponent, allowing those with sight issues to rely on audio feedback entirely to play the game. Which is huge, not just in esports, but in gaming as a whole. And it shows what the gaming industry can actually accomplish by developing the tools that allow everyone to play games. When we allow for everyone to play, anyone can win and that's the best part, right? And if you're a developer out there, I hope this moment sticks in your mind, because we need more forward-thinking developers to develop tools to allow for everyone to reach their full potential in gaming. Now, with that being said, I wasn't able to go over even 10% of EVO 2023. However, I'll be covering EVO in more depth on Culture Ships 1 update at 6 minutes past 1 o'clock Eastern on Thursday. If you're in the Detroit area, you You can listen live on WDET 101.9 FM. You can also listen online via the desktop or mobile streaming applications found at WDET.org. Over the last couple of months, I've covered the legal troubles that dark and darker developer Iron Mace Games has been going through. To recap, though, Iron Mace Games was alpha-testing the medieval extraction battle royale game Dark and Darker in March. Following the successful alpha test on Steam, Iron Mace was moving forward with their beta test in early April. However, Iron Mace Games was sued by Korean games publisher Nexon, with Nexon accusing Iron Mace Games of copyright infringement. This legal dispute forced Valve to remove Dark and Darker from Steam. Since the end of April, news about Dark & Darker has been sparse. However, Iron Mace Games changed their entire website this week to launch Dark & Darker into early access, despite still fighting a copyright lawsuit with Nexon. Iron Mace is offering Dark & Darker for a base $35 purchase, or you can pay $50 for the Founders Edition, which comes with two cosmetics and a playable race, skeletons. On top of going into early access, Iron Mace also launched an in-game cosmetic shop, milking the monetization really early on. And what further cements my assumption that they're milking monetization is their return policy. Because Iron Mace does give you a 14-day grace period to return your purchases, however, if you even start the download process, you waive your right to a refund. Which really isn't great, and out of an abundance of caution, I wouldn't recommend picking up Dark and Darker. Not till Iron Mace changes their return policy, or they win their legal battle with Nexon to launch Dark and Darker on Steam. Because right now, this seems like a ploy to extract as much money as possible from their community, with no prospect that Dark and Darker will be available after the lawsuit. Valve's venture into the handheld PC market has been phenomenal over the last year, be it the Steam Deck itself, able to play most modern games despite its terrible battery life, or Valve's support of the Steam Deck by offering repair parts and kits through iFixit. And what's great about Valve is that they keep setting a new bar for console manufacturing. Because this week, Valve raised the bar again by offering refurbished Steam Decks at a significant discount. The refurbished 64-gig version of the Steam Deck is discounted by $80, knocking it down to just $320. To note, this is $20 cheaper than the Nintendo Switch OLED. For the refurbished 256-gigabyte version of the Steam Deck, it's $100 off, going for just $420. Nice. And the refurbished 512GB Steam Deck is $130 off, bringing it to $520. Each Steam Deck comes with a refurbished power supply, a new carrying case, and a quick-start guide. Valve claims that each refurbished Steam Deck is run through over 100 tests to assure its quality, guaranteeing that each refurbished Steam Deck performs like new. However, due to the nature of refurbishment, there may be minor cosmetic damage from wear and tear on the plastic shell. Lastly, Valve does offer its 12-month standard limited warranty for the refurbished Steam Decks, which really only covers manufacturing defects. Overall, the refurbished Steam Deck seems like a great option for those looking for a cheap handheld PC. However, the 64GB models went quickly, selling out within a couple of hours of the announcement, so it might be a little challenging to get the cheapest refurbished Steam Deck, at least for a little while. All right, well, that's it for today's episode of Let's Play. Make sure you subscribe so you can come back on Monday for even more video game news. I apologize for the late upload on Thursday. It's a long story. I'm sure you don't want to hear it, but I'm trying to be better about it. Follow us on TikTok at Let's Play Gaming News and leave us a podcast review on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podchaser, and Amazon. Story selection and writing by Aaron Pillen. You can follow him on Twitter at Lloyd underscore RNG. You can follow me on Twitter at Nate Benderama and catch me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Limit Break Radio. My name's Nate Bender. Keep listening.